there in podcast land welcome to caregiving is a ministry where we're looking at the word of god through the lens of caregiving okay today we're going to be in the first book of timothy it looks like we're going to go in reverse order (laughs) start with the lighter letters first before we get into the heavy duties of romans and and first and second corinthians so this time we're on first timothy And I'm going to read some of the scriptures like I did for Titus, but I will not read the um, entire book. Aren't you glad? So here we are, starting with the first chapter, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 from the New American Standard Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Jesus Christ, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as, I, just as I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus so that you would instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines, that's a coup, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to useless speculation rather than advance the plan of God which is by faith, so I urge you now. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Some people have strayed from these things and have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Now, to be clear, Paul is writing to his protege, just like in the epistle Titus. Titus was his protege. Now we have Timothy being his protege. He had several, I guess. And we see that Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus to help those there to squash false doctrine, it seems like. So this letter is a letter of encouragement and to instruct for this introduction, I think, or with this introduction, I think it, um, it, it there's no debate that the, the, that some stuff was going along. And so it seems as though there was some debate, I guess we could say, on the importance of the law. And you'll have to read the um, book in your entirety. I'm not going to read everything. But there were people who were struggling with the law and and how that um, impacted or should influence the church now right going back to the last episode where we learned that the early believers came out of Judaism right and so Judaism very um, structured in the law you have the Torah and everything right and so now Christians are trying to grapple with well since we came out of Judaism to a certain extent how does Judaism play in the new body of Christ? And specifically, they had large debates on circumcision. Um, not in this letter per se, it doesn't really highlight that, but that's like some of the kind of debate that went back and forth. And so it seems as though there's a debate that has been, that has erupted in this um, body of believers. And there seems to have been several churches throughout Ephesus, but they were struggling with aspects of the law. And so 
call has gotten wind of this of all of the you know uproaring and whatnot and so the letter was sent to squash that (laughs) and to highlight and once again reinforce Christian behavior so in this letter when you read it six chapters you will see Paul calls for a need to pray which we always need to pray because that's our conversation with the Lord (laughs) that's just having a conversation with the Lord about everything So he starts off with a need to pray. Then he goes into dress and how people should dress um, in the body of believers, specifically women. Now, personally, I don't find this to be sexist or misogynistic in any means. Some people may. I don't really see how they can. Um, He's singling out these women because they singled themselves out. Greta Bennett's opinion because they were probably wearing something that was distracting because that's when you stand out and so if can we talk about today in church Ooh, can we please because I have been in some churches where women have been wearing dresses that were so tight that you could see every dimple and divot personally I don't want to see that why does why do we need to see that or blouses or skirt uh, dresses or shirts that are so low that you can see the cleavage. It's distracting. Now, of course, if your goal is to show off and so that everyone can look at you, then you've met that goal. They've met that goal. But I thought when we came together as believers in worship, our goal was to worship Christ, that he is at the center of our attention. So if he's at the center of our attention, we don't need to go there to detract from him, in a sense. That's not saying that you can't go looking cute, (laughs) but you, you you don't have to show off everything. Likewise, I remember seeing a young man who had his pants so low that you could see his behind. Now, he wasn't in the church, but once again, what statement are you making? Remember that outward behavior of a manifest, inward manifestation of the relationship that you have in Christ? It sends an inconsistency. So Paul addresses that for that congregation, those women there, dressed inappropriately. Notice in other letters, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. Because that wasn't an issue in those in those um, congregations. These letters are targeted to a specific body of believers. So, how are we dressing? We don't want to distract from God when we're in church, do we? We want others to see Christ in us. He then goes on to talk to qualifications once again of lay leaders just as he did in Titus he's saying this to this body of leaders he's letting Timothy know these this are these are who these men are whom you should be calling I'll say men because remember it was patriarchal society once again going back to the structure that has been um sanctioned by Jerusalem as to the lay leaders that are there to help oversee the body of Christ and to run things. He also addresses the issue of slaves 
in the body of believers. Now remember in uh, Philemon, Onesimus ran away. Now what we don't know is by his returning back to that um, environment, back to that group of people, if that meant that he was now a slave again under, you know, just societal terms, or if Philemon freed him or not. I don't get that from the letter. But we know that Paul was urging him to consider him a brother, so that could suggest that he was asking him to free him, but it doesn't have to. Here in Timothy, the first chapter, Paul is addressing how there were members of the body of Christ who were still slaves. Remember, they had slaves back in that time. And Paul addresses how they are, how the body of Christ was to treat them, which is their brothers and sisters. But as slaves, you, part of your behavior as a Christian is to continue to work, maybe work even harder for the person who is over you, your master. And masters who own slaves now, you need to remember that they're also made in the image of God, whether they're believers of this body or not, and you need to treat them as, you know, being, not being in Christ, but you being in Christ, you do things that are correct and in order. If you were an abusive, harsh master before you came to know Jesus, you can't be that way now so to speak. If you were um, a slave and you stole from your master, now you're in the body of Christ. You can't do that now. Once again, Christian behavior. And it echoes for me what Paul instructed the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 3 verses 23 through 24 where it says, whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's for all of us, whether we're master, whether we're slaves. He addresses how believers are to treat their lay leaders, that we are to treat them with respect and with honor and to not abuse them. And however, that lay leaders have the responsibility once again to live godly examples before their congregation. And then he caps the letter, kind of going back to his his introduction statement. In chapter 6, verse 12, he says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so to me, that's affirming that, yeah, there's some stuff going on there that Timothy may be struggling with trying to get a handle on because of all of the false doctrine that is going out there. You have women who are dressed inappropriately, right? You have people saying, well, they're slaves. I'm not going to talk to them. You know, life (laughs) that goes on in the church. And so Paul is basically saying, don't give up. You were called for this. It will work out. But remember, you're working for the kingdom for the internal glory. Don't expect to get a whole lot of pats on the back right now. Keep the eyes of Jesus in your sights. And in the last verses are this, Timothy, protect what has been entrusted in you. That means his calling. Avoid worldly, empty chatter at the opposing argument of which is false, falsely, which is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and therefore have gone astray from the faith, 
and then it says grace to you so people will leave and I think we've discussed that before people will leave if you've done everything that you can do if Timothy has done everything that he could do to preach the true word of God in love with the pure heart people still have choice they will come and go don't get tied to that just make sure you're doing what you can do so we see there were some real challenges there and Paul addressed them for Timothy as into how he would recommend him tackling the situations and then to encourage him keep fighting the good fight <laughs> today I think we get caught up in a lot of false doctrine as well as the body of believers and I think we do it because we really don't know God we don't study his word in depth you know we, we don't really have quiet time, personal time with Jesus to really know who he is and his character so that when someone brings something that's false and distorted from the word of God, we can point it out immediately. And, and pointing it out immediately doesn't mean that you memorize scriptures and you know scriptures, but it's the Holy Spirit saying you just feel like, mm, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> mm. People call it their spidey sense or whatever. I know it's the Holy Spirit now where I'm like, yeah, I've never heard that. I've never heard that scripture preached that way before. That doesn't, that just doesn't sit right. And then I may pray on it. I may read the word to find out more on my own. And I just kind of let it sit there, but I don't necessarily act upon it. Whereas there's sometimes where I hear the sermon preached or a lesson or whatnot. And immediately I'm like, oh, I've never heard that before. That that really resonates with me. Mm, I can I can take that to the bank. But I wouldn't know that if I wouldn't be in study. I'm not asking you guys to go to seminary. I'm just asking you to make time for your Savior so that you're not caught up in false doctrine and you and you won't always think that the way God will deliver you is through a supernatural type of an occurrence. God is a God of order and structure. And he's placed people over us. He's scientists, journalists, whatever, all those people. And then we are to look at the information that they are providing us. And with the Holy Spirit, be able to ascertain what is true, what is good, and then what will assist not only us, but those around us. Remember the two commands that Christ left us, that he said the two commands that all the other commands hinge upon? And it's really not just the Ten Commandments. It's all the Levitical laws that we find in Leviticus and some in Deuteronomy. It's everything hinges on these two commandments. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul. To have no other gods before him. To not place anything above him. One. Two. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love the people around you like you would yourself. Would you do it for you? Then you can do it for your neighbor. To not wish anything less for your neighbor just because they're not you. Those are the two things that you are to judge everything by. And I think we lose that. And I'll just, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. But let us not get caught up into false doctrine. Let us sincerely seek out God for who he is so that he can speak to us personally that means you have to dedicate personal time with him people say every day I do every day maybe you can start off once a week if this is something new for you but dedicate some time to Jesus 
it's important this letter also teaches us that it's important for us to really address the issues that are going on in our sphere of control the issues that are creating havoc in your household in your mind right between you and your spouse you and your children you and your co-workers you and brothers and sisters whatever it is if you don't have peace about it that's the holy spirit gently suggesting to you you need to go ahead and settle that matter in love to bring it to the forefront so that you can rectify any miscommunication false narratives wrong information apologize where you need to whether you feel as if you're in the wrong or not to apologize and to bring peace remember that element of the fruit of the spirit that we learned about that you bring peace that you nurture peace in your own spirit in your household and in your work environment if you can that ignoring issues is not godly Paul in his letters always addresses the elephant elephants in the room and we need to let's pray dear God we thank you for this day for allowing us to look at yet another letter that your servant Paul wrote to the early believers that still really speaks to us today (sighs) help us to realize that we are no different than the early believers in it and in in to a certain extent but we do have these letters just as they do but we have we have all of the letters that he wrote to all of the early believers and so we can gain knowledge and insight and to better forge a road ahead as to how we are to live for you thank you for allowing these letters to be written and for them to be saved and codified so that we can read them and enjoy them today and apply them to our lives help us father to make time for you so that we know who you are so that we don't get caught up in false doctrine and things that come across as sounding knowledgeable but really aren't of you give us a discerning heart but we can only do that if we come before you and then father help us to address the elephants that are in the room in love but help us to realize that in confronting those elements that we can usher in peace that we can squash things that are inaccurate and that hopefully better relationships can be developed we want to live lives that are pleasing to you and we want to live lives that are in peace for the caregivers out there peace is important because they watch their loved one every day trying to struggle with the day-to-day functions of life. They may be, as I was with Mama, watching them disappear every day, a little bit every day, and still trying to maintain a sense of hope when you're watching someone that you thought you'd have for a little while longer be there. And so give them peace, Lord. Give them the courage to confront things that need to be confronted. Help them to have a robust devotion time with you so that they can clearly hear you speak your love to them and to give them direction. Send help when they need help, whether they recognize it or not, and then give them the discerning spirit to accept it when it arrives. We love you. You are our God, and more importantly, you love us. 
We thank you for this day, for the mercies that you've given us this day that are new every morning. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus, our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Have a good day today. Go minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus.